You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. He's not in the earthquake. Then there's this great mighty wind. Think hurricane force wind. God's not in the wind either. And then there's this fire. Surely, if God wants to get through to Elijah, he's going to use fire because Elijah's kind of into the whole fire thing. But no, he's not in that either. He was in the still, small voice. God doesn't shout at his people. Instead, he speaks softly, calmly, but still with great authority. You need to listen for God's voice in your life. Today, Pastor J.D. will be encouraging you to set aside the distractions of the world around you and actively listen for the sound of your Creator's quiet and comforting voice. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 132 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Paul could have gotten real heady. He could have gotten real proud. I was caught up to the third heaven. I saw things you cannot even imagine. And so I wrote a book, 3995, (laughs) What Heaven Looks Like, and you too. If you order today, (laughs) I mean, 14 years later, and then reluctantly and very carefully and certainly humbly, he describes in the third person that which he saw. And interesting, we see through a glass darkly or dimly or blurry. In other words, you have no idea of that which awaits. So I think what David is saying here is, don't get caught up, you'll forgive the pun, no pun intended, don't get caught up in those lofty things, those profound matters. The Apostle Paul writing in his letter would say, don't get involved in these arguments. I mean, they're, they're just a bottomless pit. You can just go back and forth, back and forth on things that All they do is they just end up creating more and more conflict and creating more and more why questions that can never be answered this side of heaven. If you'll just indulge me for a moment, I want to share with you regarding this, because this, and I'm just going to be very transparent with you and open with you and say to you that this is one of the greatest struggles in my life. And that is living a life that is calm, quiet, turning the volume of my life down. And the volume in my life gets pretty loud sometimes, most of the time. But it's trying to live and quiet my life so I can have that intimacy with the Lord. You know, busyness can be the greatest plague in the life of a Christian. And the enemy knows it too, by the way. Again, just speaking from my own personal experience, the enemy uses busyness in my life to get me 
so caught up in just the busyness of life, being a pastor, being a parent, being a father of three children, being a husband, being all of the above, and living in Hawaii, one of the most expensive places on the planet to live. I mean, the busyness of life can be the enemy of a quieted soul. So I want to share with you a book that I have in my library. I read it often. I've read it many times. I've lost count, actually. It's more of a devotional, and I don't recommend it for the faint at heart, if I can say it that way. There's a number of books that I have that I don't recommend. It's going to be very convicting, and I think the title says it all. It's written by Chuck Swindoll. I think many of you know him, but it's called Intimacy with the Almighty. Listen to what he had to say. Some of God's best truths, like priceless treasures, are hidden in depths most folks never take the time to search out. We have made ourselves very complicated. Oh, my goodness. Those who determine to simplify their lives quickly discover it is a rigorous solo voyage against the wind. Noise and words are frenzied. Hectic schedules dull our senses closing our ears to His still, small voice, and making us numb to His touch. Noise and crowds have a way of siphoning our energy and distracting our attention, making prayer and worship an added chore rather than a comforting relief. If the pace and push, the noise and the crowds are getting to you, <laughs> can I get a witness here? <laughs> it's time to stop the nonsense and find a place of solace to refresh your spirit. Dare I add, as David would write, quiet your soul. How busy we have become, and as a result, how empty we have become. Simplicity, silence, solitude, and surrender will make the pause and the hush sing a double song. And then he quotes Psalm 46.10, you know it. Be still and know that I am God. By the way, the names for God, that's an interesting and fascinating study unto itself. But when God says, I am, I am, it's open-ended, meaning I am whatever you need. What do you need right now? You know what I need? I need Psalm 131 in my life. I need calm. I need quiet. Let me tell you, it is one of the hardest things for me to do. 
is to just shut everything off, lock the door, because I know what's coming through that door, and I want to deal with it right now. I don't have the grace to deal with that right now. I need to spend time with the Lord. I need that intimacy with Him. I need that time with Him. I need to just, (laughs) and this is hard for some personality types, and you know who you are. Those of us who are kinesthetic and, you know, we always have to be doing something. And oh my goodness, God forbid, we just sit and do nothing. Does not the guilt set in? I think about Elijah. I can't wait to meet Elijah. I mean, his personality type, you you know the type, right? I mean, he's the kind of guy that everything has to be big and dramatic. And had to have fire too. I'm not suggesting he was a pyromaniac, but I mean the fiery chariot ride up, and then he called down, you know, we had Mark doing the fire, you know, didn't burn down. The thank you for not burning the church down, consuming the altar of Baal, the children's ministry on Sunday. So then, you know, after he calls fire down, and it consumes the sacrifice to Baal, and then he kills, he slays 450 of the prophets of Baal, and then Jezebel, this evil, evil woman, demon-possessed, I believe. Ahab with her, her husband too, by the way, evil king. So she puts a contract out on his life. And so here's Elijah. He just got done slaying 450 prophets of Baal. He just got done calling fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice to Baal. And then he hears that Jezebel is going to kill him. What does he do? He runs for his life. And he, he's got a contract out on his life. He runs for his life and he asks God to take his life. Are you kidding me? What happened to Elijah, my hero, calling fire down from heaven? Praise that it won't rain, then praise that it will rain. This guy's a powerful man. And now he's running for his life from Jezebel? Really? What in the world is going on? And so God, God is so gentle with us, so patient with us, right? So God finds him hiding in this cave. And he says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah just starts whining. They're, you know, they're all bowing their knee to bow, and I, you know, here I am, I'm serving you. And he's upset with the Lord. He's disappointed that the Lord did not kill Jezebel, that God did not do what he expected him to do. He's, he's mad at God. And he's like, just shoot me now. Put me out of my misery. I mean, after all I did, and I was sure that you were going to take out Ahab and Jezebel. And now you're going to let Jezebel get away with trying to kill me? It's like God's saying, do you think I can protect you from Jezebel, Elijah? And oh, by the way, just so you know, I got 7,000 just like you in Jerusalem that aren't bound their knee to Baal. But what's really interesting to me about Elijah is the way. It's not that God spoke to him, it's the way God spoke to him. So what happens? You know what happens, right? First there's this great earthquake. I mean, not just an earthquake, not just like a 5.0 tremor, 
No, we're talking about a mega quake, a great earthquake. He's not in the earthquake. Then there's this great mighty wind. Think hurricane force wind. God's not in the wind either. And then there's this fire. Surely if God wants to get through to Elijah, he's going to use fire because Elijah's kind of into the whole fire thing. But no, he's not in that either. He was in the still, small voice. In the original language, it carries with it the idea of a whisper. I know this is going to date me, and I know I've shared this before, but for those of you in my general age group, you remember those old shampoo commercials? If you want to get somebody's attention, whisper. No? Okay, forget that I used that commercial as an example. But isn't that true? When somebody's yelling you at you, and like I do every week, and all in the dramatic, I mean you tune them out and you shut yourself off. But if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you're like, what? That's what God was doing. God was getting His attention, not in the big, not in the dramatic, but in the quiet, in the still in the small. Be still and know I am whatever you need. Before we get to Psalm 132, let me just say lastly, some of the greatest experiences that I've had in the 37 years that I've been walking with the Lord have been those times where I have just shut everything out, quieted myself down, and was just still. And I think some of you will know what I'm talking about when I say this. I mean, it's like you don't want to leave. You don't want that time to end. An hour goes by, it seems like five minutes. He inhabits the praises of His people. In your presence, Psalm 1611, is fullness of joy. I mean, you're just so filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and the presence of God and intimacy with God. We just hired a children's ministry director on staff, and I always have the talk, because I know the dangers when it comes to the children's ministry. There are not enough hours in the day, right? So I said to her, I said, we don't really have hours. He's like, are you for real? (laughs) I said, I'm more concerned about your relationship with the Lord than I am your service to the Lord. Because if your relationship with the Lord and time with the Lord is not right, then your service to the Lord won't be right. I'm not a big meetings guy. You can ask my board about that. It's like, oh yeah, we need to have a board meeting. We're required by law. But I'm not a meeting guy. You know what I am though? I'm a guy that says, I want those that are working in this God's church to spend more time with God than they do serving God. Because I know that if they've had that time and that relationship and that intimacy with the Lord, the service to the Lord, seek ye first the Lord and His righteousness and His kingdom and everything else just falls into place. And by the way, that's a principle you don't break. It breaks you when you go up against it. 
This is a powerful marriage principle. When you're spending time with the Lord as a husband, then the marriage relationship, when your relationship with the Lord is right, then your relationship, your marriage relationship will be right. If that's not right, that's the problem. I'm not a very good marriage counselor because when somebody comes to me and says, here's the situation, I basically just say, well, here's your problem. Your problem is not with your wife. Your problem is with the Lord. Your problem is with the Lord. If you're right with the Lord and your relationship is right with the Lord and you have time with the Lord and intimacy with the Lord, you'll have intimacy in your marriage. But if that's not right, forget about it. Sorry, I just had a New York flashback. Psalm 132. Another song of ascent. This one, though we're not sure, it's probably not written by David, but it is certainly written about David, and it's a very interesting psalm. Verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, speaking of Israel, Surely, verse 3, I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Speaking of the tent of worship, the tent of meeting that preceded the temple. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. Clearly, this is David's master passion. There's almost a sense of, I can't enjoy the house that I live in, when the house of the Lord is still in a tent. Speaking of the tabernacle. 4 verse 10, your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. We'll talk more about that in a moment. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies, verse 18, I like this one, (laughs) I will clothe with shame, but upon himself, notice those are capitalized, his crown shall flourish. Now what's this psalm about? Well, it's an interesting psalm that first begins by capturing the zeal and the passion that David had concerning his desire to build the temple in Jerusalem. 
Oh, I mean, this was his life goal. But the problem is, God wouldn't let him. Why? Because he had too much blood on his hands. And what's interesting is the prophet Nathan initially, when he asks the prophet, the prophet Nathan says, yeah, go ahead. And then God appears to the prophet Nathan at night in Second Samuel chapter 7. I won't take the time in the interest of time, but in Second Samuel chapter 7 verses 8 through 14, God appears to the prophet Nathan and says, you better go back and tell David that he cannot build the temple. He cannot build me a house, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build him a house. Not literally. You have to understand the Middle Eastern culture. In my Arab culture, it's the same in the Hebrew culture. To this day, by the way, when you describe a family or the lineage of somebody, you talk about the house of. In Hebrew, it's Bethesda, is Beit, or house of peace. In Arabic, we say Beit Saida. Beit is the house. Now, when I was growing up, my dad would always talk about my uncles and their house, Beit Abuhani, the house of the father of Hani. If you were to talk about my family, my house, my lineage, you would say Beit Abu Ilias. You always take the name of the firstborn son, the father, the house of, the father of Elias. That's my house, my family. Saudi Arabia, Beit Saud. It was the house or the family of the Saudis, not the Wahhabis. So that Saudi Arabia was given to and became known as the house of Ibn Saud, the Saudi family, the Saudi house. So what God is saying to David is, David, I'm sorry. You have too much blood on your hands. You cannot build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. Here's what I'm going to do. The Savior of the world, Jesus the Christ, will come from your lineage. How about that? You know what David does? You would think David would say, okay, so in 2 Samuel he's promised that his son will build the house. That would become Solomon, who by the way, and this is interesting too at the beginning of the psalm, remember David's affliction. David's life, you could say if there was ever a man that lived a very hard life, afflicted, it would be David. Running for his life from Saul, who was trying to take his life, homeless for many years. Here's he's, the, he's already been anointed as a young teenager to be the next king of Israel. Thanks for taking the time to listen today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has been taking us through the book of Psalms, detailing the author's messages of hope and pain, joy and sorrow. You may have found today that you identified with the sentiments expressed in today's passage. And if that's the case, we encourage you to explore more. Dive into the Word yourself and ask God to reveal additional love and personal truth that He knows you need to hear today. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings in Psalms 2, you can find them online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Are you a part of a community of believers? 
if you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to urge you to remedy that soon. A church family can be a source of support, a cheering squad, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. This is also a place you can give of your unique talents in support of others as well. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. There's a lot to discover at our website, including a link to our mobile app, social media pages, and Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Updates. That website, one more time, is inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have for today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of Psalms, right here on In Spirit and Truth. <laughs> 